Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for all of the audio and sermons from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet every week at 10 a.m. at the Sundial AMC Movie Theater, 151 2nd Avenue North in beautiful downtown St. Petersburg, Florida. It's a, it's a whole new experience here having my name on the big screen there. Um, so I'm going to have to get used to that. Yeah, as Justin said, I work uh, with RUF at uh, the University of South Florida. My week this week was um, kind of encapsulated everything that RUF is about. We did our fall conference this weekend when I was with um, 30 of our students and over 200 students from across Florida at a retreat center. I played basketball, which was a mistake. Um, with a bunch of 20-year-old guys, and that was, that's not good. Um, and then we came back. We had a large group meeting where we had over 40 students there. Where we talked about prayer. We had a small group meeting on Thursday where we talked about um, emotions in the Word of God. And then Friday night, we had um, a trunk or treat on top of one of the parking garages where uh, three of my students decided to dress as me. Um, for, and so if you've, if you've never had three 19-year-old girls dress up as you before, I don't recommend it. Um, but, you know, and then uh, we were there until about midnight singing Dancing Queen on top of a parking garage um, at USF. So I've had an interesting week, uh, to say the least. Um, this morning we are uh, looking at Psalm 131. It's only three verses, so that's good. You picked a good week to come. Uh, it's probably the shortest reading that we'll have um, all year. I don't know. Maybe Justin's going to go real, real one verse at a time through something. Psalm 131, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. That's God's word. Let's pray. Um, Lord, we come from many places, many backgrounds, many experiences from um, strange weeks um, to normal, but we come here to meet with you. We come here and ask that you would speak to us. Um, You created us, and so we need you to tell us what it means to be human. So would you speak, Lord? We're here to listen. Amen. Uh, not that long ago, I read a book by Evelyn Waugh, uh, Brideshed Revisited. It's probably a book you've never heard of and probably will never ever again after this. Um, and it's a, it's a peculiar book. It's a book um, that follows kind of a, a wealthy family in mid-20th century England. Um, but you meet some interesting characters along the way. And one of the interesting characters that you meet is a guy named Rex Mottram. Uh, Rex is an interesting fellow. He's a rising social and political star. He comes from a good and uh, prestigious family. He's doing all the things that you would do to have a prestigious career in uh, politics. He went to Oxford. He studied there and received top marks. And he's made all the right friends along the way, all the things that you would need to do, joined all the right clubs and all of those sorts of things. Along the way, he meets Julia, who he thinks will make a fine addition to his resume. She seems to be everything that one would look for in the wife of a politician. She's well-kept. She's from a good family. She seems interested enough in him to not um, leave. And um, 
He thinks, well, this will just be wonderful. They marry and everything seems to be going well, as well as it can go, until we start to get a closer look at Rex through Julia's eyes. And Rex is an interesting guy. One day he's a fascist and the other day he's a communist. One day he's a Protestant and the other day he's a Catholic. Some days he's on the right of politics. Some days he's on the left. He will change friends whenever he can for whatever purpose it's to, that's most expedient for him. He doesn't really care for Julia and the children at all. He just makes sure that they show up on time, that they look good, and that they're always um, available for social events and things like that that he needs to advance his career. What we begin to see as the story unfolds is that Rex is really motivated by one thing, ambition. Doesn't really care how he gets it. Doesn't really care how he does it. Doesn't really care how it comes about. He just wants to succeed. He just wants to reach as high as he can reach. If he does it on the right or does it on the left, he doesn't really care. He's only motivated by one thing. That's all he's about. And at one point, Julia makes this remarkable insight. She says this. She says, you know, our priest hit on the truth about Rex at once, that it took me a year of marriage to see. He simply wasn't all there. He wasn't a complete human being at all. He was a tiny bit of one, unnaturally developed, something in a bottle, an organ kept alive in a laboratory. I thought he was some sort of primitive savage, but he was something absolutely modern and up-to-date that only this ghastly age could produce. A tiny bit of a man pretending he was whole. A tiny bit of a man pretending he was whole. What you realize is the tragedy of Rex's character is that as you peel back the layers of him, you find out there's nothing there. There's no him. There's just ambition. There's no deep core. There's nothing, there's no self under there. As you peel him back, you realize that he's been living, glorifying self. And as he does that, his self has completely collapsed into just glorifying <laughs> He's a tiny bit of a person pretending he was whole. So the question I want to do, I want to ask with you today is, how do we become whole people? What does it look like for us to be whole? And I think the church has always had the wisdom, has always known that to become whole people, we have to find our significance. We have to ground our lives in God. Augustine says it like this, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And this is where this psalm meets us. This psalm is coming to us as the voice of experience, as one who comes to us and says, I'm going to tell you how it is that you can be whole. I'm going to tell you what it looks like to be a whole human being. And so there's one thing that the psalmist tells us to avoid, one thing to do, and one thing to proclaim if we're going to be whole. So looking at verse one, one thing to avoid. Um, there's, a, there's a list of kind of three things here that the psalmist wants us um, to avoid. They're all sort of related, but we'll walk through them individually. Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. Um, in the ancient world, you and I tend to think of uh, the self as being grounded in like the mind or the brain or maybe the ego. If you know, you're a Freudian in here somewhere, um, two people smiled at that. And then everybody else is like, whew, um, it's okay. Uh, that was a joke just for me. Um, thank you, this side. Um, that, but uh, that in the modern world, we tend to think of the ego, the self, as being in the brain, as being in the, the mind or the will. In the ancient world, they tend to th- think of the center of the person as in the heart. 
That was the center of the human being. That was the center of the person. And so when the psalmist says, I have not lifted up my heart, I'm not exalted my heart, he's saying, I haven't put myself in the place of God. I haven't exalted myself to that place. Now I recognize who I am. I recognize that I'm not God. I recognize that if I put myself in the place of God, I'll never live up to my own standard of what God ought to be like. I realize that I'll fail every single time. And if you put yourself in the place of God, if you try it, not only will you be a total disappointment to yourself, you will always use people. You'll always abuse people. You'll always hurt people. Because when things aren't working out, it couldn't be God's fault, you. It has to be somebody else's. But to be whole people, to really be able to love others, we have to be able to admit that we're wrong. We have to be able to be humble enough to admit that we can't do everything right. We can't lift ourselves up, exalt ourselves as God. The second thing he says is my eyes are not raised too high. I have not exalted what I see around me. I haven't exalted myself and I haven't exalted what I see around me. This is more of a temptation, I think, for some of us is we live in a world where we're all about ambition. We're all about gathering stuff. Uh, I had a friend who was a missionary, even to another Western country, and she came back to the United States and she said the the total difficult thing about coming back to the United States, the culture shock was how consumeristic we are how big everything had to be, how we always wanted more and bigger and better. It's interesting, in the United States, if you ask people, what would it take for you to be comfortable? How much more would you need? Almost universally, the the number is 10% more. Universally, whether you're right on the poverty line or you're the CEO, almost universally, everybody says they um, they have some sort of financial insecurity across the spectrum, and they would, be, they would be satisfied if they had 10% more. Spoiler alert, when they get 10% more, they get, you know, the house payment goes up, the car payment goes up, and then they need 10% more again. They always think, if I just had that, if I just had the corner office, then I would be satisfied. But then you get the corner office and you realize there's another corner office, but it's a one floor higher. There's another corner office, but it has a foyer. I mean... Who wouldn't want a foyer? I don't know a lot about offices. I'm sorry. I do college ministry. I don't know. Some of you are like, that's not what, no one says that. Uh, (laughs) We're in a movie theater, you know, I'm a little on the edge. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, thank you. Uh, But there's always something more. If I just had that 10% more, my kids could go to that school instead of this school. If I just had that 10% more, then I could finally get that boat I've been dreaming of. If I just had that 10% more, I could get that addition on the house. The in-laws could stay there. That would be great. The kids would have their playroom. Everything would be settled. And the psalmist, the voice of experience comes in and says, I just want to let you know, it's not going to work. Some of you, you've lived life long enough now that you know it won't work. That You'll never be able to get enough to where you'll be satisfied. So the psalmist says, I haven't lifted up myself. I can't exalt myself. I can't exalt what I see. And he says, also, I do not walk I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Literally, it's I do not walk with things that are too great and too marvelous for me. Um, 
the, the sense of this is that um, he doesn't seek comfort from circumstance for what his situation is around him. Um, I think we're particularly numb to this in some ways because we are, and I work in college ministry, so this is a little bit of my experience all the time, is we're addicted to these things. Um, we have these all the time. And so we're just distracting ourselves to death, as one psychologist says. Um, we're just able to, um, whenever we feel any hurt, any pain, any difficulty, any sadness, anything like that, we're able to hop on to YouTube and distract ourselves long enough until the feeling goes away. We're able to hide just long enough. We're able to get on Instagram, get on Facebook, and construct a reality that isn't really there. This is my students do this basically all the time. None of them are here. Yeah, that's true. Uh, none of them are here. Uh, what they do is they get on Facebook, they get on Instagram, and they don't have the reality that they want, so they construct it in a virtual world. You may not do that on Instagram, but I guarantee there are some times when you do it anyway. <laughs> you pretend to be something that you're not. You pretend to have those high experiences. You pretend to be good. You pretend that everything is going okay. And the psalmist here says, no, 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 I can't occupy myself with those things because they're fleeting. They'll never satisfy. They'll never ground you. You'll never be whole if you occupy yourself with those things. And then this next verse is, I think, the most um, surprising. But I have calmed and quieted my soul. So a quick review is the psalmist says, hey, I can't trust myself because I will fail every single time. And if I get all these things that I actually want, those things will also fail me. Oh, and by the way, my experiences, my emotional life is so fluctuating, it's so random that I can't trust that either. If you were to walk out here and just break that down with somebody, what normally happens is what we call a midlife crisis, is they just realize that like, oh, everything I've been doing has been kind of meaningless and pointless, and so they just have a crisis. They have a breakdown because they realize that everything they've been living for, everything they've been using to try to be whole, to try to ground their life has been meaningless and pointless. And they have a midlife crisis. And yet the psalmist says he has calmed and quieted his soul. How, how does he do that? So he says we can't, we've got to avoid all these things, but what, what does he give us? He gives us this, he says, but I'm like a weaned child with its mother. I'm like a weaned child with its mother. I doubt this is the verse that you memorized in Sunday school. I don't know that anyone has this verse like, on their bumper sticker. Anybody got that one? Like a wean child with its mother, Psalm 131. You got that on your phone background or anything? No, Facebook, it's on the top, on the, none, none of that. But yet I think the psalmist is telling us something really beautiful. Uh, I have a now four-year-old son, but I remember when he was still in the weaning phase and the unweaned child, the unweaned child is, is um, coming to mom, but they're always quite restless. They're always trying to get something from mom. They're basically either sleeping or trying to feed, <laughs> trying to nurse. That's all they're doing all the time. They're always clawing. They're always grabbing. They're always seizing. They're always trying to get mom's attention so that way they can get what they really want. Many of us come to God like that. Many of us come to God like Rex. He says, oh, I can add God onto my already great existent resume. God will do something for me. He'll make me better. He'll make things work out. The psalmist says, no, 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 I'm not coming to God for something. I'm not coming to him to get something from him. No, I found something different. I found the comfort of just being a child with a parent who loves me and when I don't need anything. 
That's the experience that the psalmist wants us to have. As I said, I have a four-year-old, but um, for a while, about a year, he was two. um, And thank you. Um, He was, yeah, uh, for a while, he was two. um, And when he was two, he would take naps. But I I like to... um, I like to get out and do. I like to get going. And Winston, um, for as smart as he was at two, he was not very good at time and energy management. Uh, he, was, he was very quick to overdo it. So we'd be going out. Maybe, it's, maybe I was quick to overdo it. Um, and we would go out and, you know, we'd get out about nine. And nap time was about one, one thirty. And by about noon, I could see we were, we were powering down. And I knew that because Winston would look at me and say, Daddy, carry you. Carry you. Um, I would always say, Winston, do you want me to carry you? And so he just got the pronouns confused. So he would just, he thought that was the phrase, carry you, he was saying, carry me. And I knew that meant, okay, like, daddy, I'm not, I can't make it to the car. I can't ride one more ride. I can't do one more thing. I'm spent. This is what the psalmist wants you to see. Is that like a wean child, one who just says, daddy, would you, would you carry me? I, I can't go any further. I don't have any more energy to give. Because Winston knows if daddy carries him, we're going to make it to the car. We're going to make it home. We're going to be okay. In fact, the beautiful thing about being carried is he doesn't even need to be very concerned about where we're going. He can just fall asleep because he's not concerned about where he's going. He's concerned about whose arms he's in. And I just wonder if maybe that might be a solution. Instead of trying to lift ourselves up, instead of trying to elevate things, instead of trying to elevate circumstance, we might just be concerned with whose arms we're in, with who is loving us, with who is carrying us. The psalmist says, actually, it's in that place, in the most dependent of all relationships. I watched a a documentary one time, and it says, human um, babies are the most vulnerable of all mammals when they're born, of all like human babies, if you've had a baby, you know, they can't do anything. And that is the picture that the psalmist says of the life of the Christian. That is the picture. It's not one who's striving, working together with God, but one who's dependent in that intimate, loving relationship, being carried by a father, a parent who loves them and cares for them. The beautiful thing about that is when I'm holding Winston, we can have conversations that only he and I can hear. I can say, Winston, daddy loves you. Winston, daddy's for you. Winston, daddy cares for you. Daddy's so happy that you're here. Friends, do you have that with the Lord? That is what Jesus offers you. That's what he longs for you to do. Christianity is not about you becoming better. I love what Justin says. This isn't the holiness club. This isn't the place where we all come together and look at one another and say, man, have you leveled up your spirituality this week? Man, what level are you at? Oh man, I can't wait to be more like that person. No, no, no. This is a place where we all come together and we just look at each other and go, man, I need Jesus to pick me up and carry me. I need Jesus to get me to the end. I need to be like that wean child, intimate and close in that most dependent of relationships. And the psalmist says, that's the way to be human that you were never meant to live autonomously. You were never meant to do it on your own. You were never meant to define your meaning for yourself. Your meaning was meant, your significance was meant to be found in this person, in that relationship, and in your relationship with other people that he's brought you to. 
That's how we're really human. That's how we become whole. Can I ask you, when you, when you peel back the curtain on yourself, what do you find? When you dig down deep, what's there? Do you have something or are you just a business person? Are you just a mother? Are you just a father? Are you just a husband? Or do you have a core identity? Do you have a real way of being human? Are you whole deep down on the inside? Do you have a name that God has given you? Friends, that's what Jesus offers you. That's what he wants to give you. The psalmist doesn't end there. That's what we need to do, but he doesn't end there. It's not just about personal piety. No, he, at the very end, he says, oh, Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Not only do we get this intimate relationship, but we get to go and tell other people. We need to go and tell other people that there's, did you know there's actual meaning and significance in the world? I was talking to a, um, a philosophy professor at USF and they had to, they were teaching um, this existentialist philosopher, basically, you know, everything means nothing and how that crisis. And they said, I had to stop teaching it. I had to stop teaching it because the undergraduate students who I was teaching um, this text to, you're supposed to feel like everything is meaningless and feel dread about that. And they were like, well, yeah, of course everything's meaningless. Obviously. And they were just completely unfazed. He said, I had to stop teaching. It was completely pointless. That is the world that you and I live in. That is the world that we inhabit. And in the midst of that, you have some wonderful news that the world does have meaning, that there is something beyond, that there are things that are really true. That is the proclamation that we get to have. When you encounter people, I think this this text changes how we think about evangelism. Because when you encounter people, You do not just encounter people who have wrong ideas about God. They do. They do have wrong ideas about God, but that's not all they've got. They're not just people who have sicknesses and sadnesses. They do, but that's not all they have. They have a wrong way to live, a wrong way to be human, a wrong way to think about what it means to be a human being. And so when we come to Christianity, it's not just a conversion of the way we think about God. It's a conversion of the way we think about ourselves, what it means to be a human being, what it means to live in the world, what it means to be who we really are must change. And it's going to be a little weird. Can I just, can I just warn you? This is totally going off script. Can I just warn you? Um, if you're going to go on mission, if you're going to go engage people, if you're going to go talk about this, like, hey, did you know that there's significance and meaning in the world? Oh, by the way, the significance and meaning is in, is in weakness. Is in admitting that you can't do it? That's going to be weird. Like, this could be a weird place to be. This is going to be a weird community. Like, you don't go anywhere else and they confess their sins, like... We don't do that anywhere else. This is going to be a little, a little weird. It's going to be a little different. I was meeting with a student uh, two weeks ago, and I, she's a brand new Christian, and she um, went to church, and I said, oh, how was it? She said, well, it's pretty good. It, it got a little weird at the end. And I was like, what do you mean? You know, I know this church, and they're pretty nice people. Okay, <laughs> kind of interested. And she said, well, they did that bread and wine thing at the end. That was weird. And at first it was kind of funny, like, yeah, yeah, she's talking about communion. But also like, yes, it is weird. Like, it's going to be really weird. Like, if you are going to live this way, 
If we're going to be those types of people, if we're going to be types of people who live on mission, if we're going to be types of people who live selflessly, if we're going to be types of people who don't value the world's values the way that the world does, it's going to be weird. It's going to be different. It's going to be hard. But you have a father who loves you, who cares for you. And so you can rest that it's not how good I'm doing at it because you're going to fail as I do, as I did this week many times. The beautiful thing about being the preacher is you get convicted by your own sermon before you convict anybody else. Um, But it's not about who you are and how good you're doing. It's about whose arms you're in and who's carrying you. Think on those things. Remember those things. In Christ's name, let's pray.